Swinton paying Hermosa finds the target. Swinton it was. There's a little short kick from Hodge. Who gets the bounce? It's there for Banks. He flicks it out the back door and a try on debut for Tom Wright. What a start, Australia. Welcome to episode 25 of Rugby Fixation. Uh, we're looking at a exciting week ahead because we've got the most mouth-watering matchup of the Super Rugby AU tournament, but also a few interesting games in the Super Rugby Aotearoa as we get to the pointy end of the season. So uh, to talk with me about all the games is, again, my brother and co-host, Curtis. How are you doing? Yeah, going very well. It's a, a big weekend of rugby, and I think, yeah, you're right. It's, a, it's the biggest game of the year coming up, and I'm very excited for it. I think um, we'll spend a bit of time reviewing the games just because I know last time I sort of um, race through them to talk about some of the more exciting things like the Wallabies training squad and whatnot. But I'm very keen to look at the amount of changes um, the Australian teams have made. So we're recording this uh, after the Aussie teams have named their lineups. The New Zealand teams haven't yet. But the Australian teams, there's a lot on the line this week, um, sort of the battle for first place and the battle for third place, I'd say. So it's going to be interesting to see how these mix-up uh, team lists actually affect those results. But before we get to that, we'll, we'll have a look at the um, weekend's games. Uh, from those four weekend's games, was there one that stood out to you for any particular reason? I think it was the men in Sky Blue doing their best. Mm-hmm. It was uh, you, you th- the, person, the worst team that, on I guess in terms of results that we've seen in Super Rugby for the last couple of years is the Waratahs, and it's a sad reality. But they come up against the, the reigning champs and a team that's only narrowly lost, lost one game. Um, to the team that I'm sure we'll be talking about a lot. Um, but I think yeah, you look at the return of Gordon, you look at having a, a solid centre pairing and you look at having two young second rowers and, and the difference that um, the difference that those players can make in a time when we've just lost our head coach and there's, there's two coaches that are sort of scrambling together to try and make things work while still, still bringing in those changes. So... It's, that was really, really positive signs. It was a slightly ugly game. I will take that. Brumbies didn't play their best, but you can only not play your best when the other team's forcing you to not play your best as well. So I think a, a big hats off to the Tars. Um, and then I guess in the other Oz game, it, just an absolute shellacking from the Reds, probably their best game in a while, just showing that the, the Rebels weren't really a threat at all. So I think that's two very interesting games leading into this weekend. I'm keen to unpack those, but let's stick with the Waratahs Brumbies first. Um, the Brumbies ended up winning 24-22, and it was just that missed kick at the end by Will Harrison that stopped it from going into extra time. But, um, of course, Harrison's kicked pretty much perfectly all season, so definitely not his fault that they didn't get the win. But it would have been a nice way to sort of, I guess, show their uh, comeback, show their resilience if they could have got that chance to go into extra time because they would have had a two-man advantage with um, Cusack in the bin, and I think also one of their props uh, in the bin as well. Um, the thing that I thought was most interesting was that the Tars had a lot of the ball. Um, and one of the things that kept getting thrown around was was the Tars playing better or were the Brumbies playing worse? The Brumbies were playing worse, but only because the Tars were making them. As you said, like they put on a lot more pressure. And I think all that pressure really came from the centers. If you look at the Tars centers, uh, Fichetti and uh, Parisi are forming a really good combination. And I think that's probably the thing that most Tars fans would be most excited about. And before the match, I think we spoke about how coming up against Simone and Ikatao, you know, two Wallabies squad members, um, would be an interesting sort of litmus test. But they demolished them in every way. Um, 
just looking at the stats, because again, we're going to look at stats as much as I can. Um, the Tar Centers made 21 runs compared to the Brumbies 11. Uh, the two centers combined for 127 meters compared to 17 from Simone and Ikatel. There were three clean breaks to zero, eight defenders beaten to one, and they even only missed three tackles compared to Simone and Ikatel missing six. So across attack and defense, they were just better. And I think that's where the Tars got a lot of their, uh, you know, go forward ball and probably where they can start to build a bit of hope for the season coming because the back line has been a bit of a weakness this year but they haven't had Parisi or Fichetti for many of those games. So, Cody, are you excited seeing that as a potential long-term centre combo? Yeah, I definitely am. It's, uh, I guess it's one of the things where you're sort of already wishing that the Tars signed Parisi on for longer than one year. Uh, I know it was sort of just a, a contract where he hadn't really had too many options at the time, but I think they'd, if they were smart, they'd already be looking at extending that because, yeah, I think I'm fairly confident it was only the one year that they signed him on for initially. Um, so yeah, for Keddy, we sort of said it from his first game back when he came off the bench, he, he looked very impressive. We spoke about it last week again in the podcast and he's just backed it up again and again. He's, he's one of the players that like, you, you remember sort of 2017, 20, 2017, 2018, he was one best player in shoot in the NRC. Mm. He was, he was phenomenal. Came into the Tars, was playing pretty well, sort of stuck. He's, he's playing with a lot better players back then, but he was looking looking good, just wasn't flashy because he was just doing his job. And and now he, he's probably more than most of the players at the moment. He's looking like he really wants to be there. Um, and you probably get that when you get stuck on the bench with injuries for, for about a year. So, yeah, really excited by that. Um, on the slightly negative side, it's probably two of the more exciting players from last year. Or three even. Uh, you look at like Harrison and, and Ram towards the end of the season and no one going to Wazi at the start of the season. They're the three most exciting young players and they've probably been the three biggest underperformers, unfortunately. Um, Matt Maddox has still been giving it a crack. He's, he's not the player that we probably expected him to be after his sort of his lofty height to the Rebels and with the Wallabies at a younger age. But he definitely the, the other three have probably fallen a little bit off uh, the high regard that we put at them for, for youngsters last year. And they probably need to take a leaf out of Fichetti and Parisi's book and just have a bit more aggression and a bit more intent, I think, when they're playing. I think that was one of the things that concerned me the most watching the game was just seeing that the Waratahs that you'd want to step up were ones that really should have. Because Maddox, I think, was the one that fell off the Tom Wright uh, try early on when he sort of bumped him past in the end. And Tom Wright really had no reason to score that try. Like that was just, you know, some nice power and some good awareness of where the line was. But Maddox should have been able to get him out as a you know test player. And then on top of that, I think he was also one of the players responsible for the Andy Muirhead try. I know Newsom fell off him completely, trying to um, a very poor attempt yeah. at tackle. But Maddox was in that position as well and had all the room to try and push him out, but didn't. Um, we talked up the Tars centers, but it's the Tars outside backs, as you mentioned, because Ram's been pretty much non-existent this year, um, yeah. you know, which is a big fall from grace given he was in that Wallabies uh, environment last year. But the outside backs just aren't providing enough punch. And I think that's where they probably need to get no one can need a YC in. Because we've spoken about Newsom's frailties, you know, ad nauseum, but he turned the ball over four times. He only made one from uh, six tackles. When you fall in off five tackles, it's really slack for someone that does play outside center on occasion. Like he should be a good defensive reader. And then he's giving away penalties. He's at least running the ball a bit more, but not to the same extent that someone like a, no one can eat a YC could. 
But the thing that I think... Oh, and I did get the impression from uh, Gilmore at halftime where he was talking about how embarrassing it was that they missed that tackle. Mm. The one-on-one tackle missed it. That, to me, the impression was Newsom's gone. Like he, he was, has to he be. was maybe a, a penny's child, but I think that was the... All right, that's the last draw. Sort of haven't been performing. And, and then that's just... It, it sounded like it was a very rudimentary, you can't be doing that and be in this team. Especially with Jake Gordon back, because if you're getting the leadership from another area, you don't really need Newsom on the field, I don't think. So I'd be pretty happy to see him, you know, spend a bit of time on the sideline just so that we can get some more attacking players in there. Um, but the set that really stood out um, was just the difference between the backs and the forwards. The Tars forwards did so much of the work. So just the front row combined for 42 runs, which is massive. You know, if you're averaging 14 runs for your front rowers, um, they made 77 meters, but they only had to make 11 tackles. So they weren't involved in the sort of thick stuff. They were just involved in the loose. Whereas you look at the Brumbies, they only ran eight times, uh, front rowers. They only made 11 meters. So they weren't doing the hard yards there, but combined they made 35 tackles. And I think fell off maybe two, you know, so they were doing, I guess, the work you'd expect them to do. And this comes into a really big debate around who's a better tight head out of Taniela Tupo or, Alan Alalatoa. And I think a lot of the Fairweather fans would say, oh, well, it's got to be Tupo. Look at his highlights reel. Look at the tries he scores. And a lot of the stats nauseous would look at Alalatoa and say, well, he actually wins more scrums as a percentage. He uh, makes more tackles. He, you know, is involved in the plays that I guess are more important to a game. And he gives away less penalties. So there's so many arguments for both. And I think this game really uh, showcased what role do you actually want your tight players doing? And what role can your tight players do? Because the Tars came really close with a you know strong running plan, but that running plan should be coming from their outside backs. So the outside backs just aren't providing enough punch. Whereas the Brumbies just have threats across the park. They don't need their front rowers to be making runs because as we've seen, we've got Muirhead who's in great form. We've got Hanson who's on the bench and in great form. Uh, Tom Ryden, Tom Banks, just making it look very easy. So I think that's going to be, one thing that if the Tars can focus on just getting some more punch in the back line, they'll be pretty set. Yeah, definitely. Um, and just quickly, how about Angus Bell? Oh, he's a freak. He's the most wanted 21. man in um, Super Rugby at the moment, I'd say. Oh, he's got to be up there with one of the most wanted men in world rugby. Like, obviously, Tony Ellis is still a very young prop in the grand scheme of things and has a few more accolades. But, geez, the way Angus Bell plays for someone who's not really had too many professional scrums and professional games in his life, it's it's very, very impressive. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go to any club, really. I think with Pentagon, there's maybe a better chance of him staying at the Tars, but I do have this odd feeling that he might even end up at the Brumbies just so they've got three Wallabies loose so he can really just try and learn from those guys and show that he's one of the best ones, but also just to develop his own game. Laurie Fisher's probably the best forwards coach in Australia. And so for him to be able to have some exposure to not just those players, but also those coaches, it'd be pretty invaluable to a young prop, even if it's only for a few seasons. But let's look at the other games because there's a few we've got to talk about. So we'll look at the Rebels versus Reds. Uh, The Reds end up getting up 44 to 19. The thing that shocked me with this is the Rebels were better in every attacking stat. And when you're watching the game, you could see them make a lot of line breaks. You could see them beat a lot of defenders. But really, if you take away the two intercept tries that the Reds scored on a pretty fast start, um, it was a very even game. Um, the problem was the Reds just capitalized on every opportunity they had. And it just meant that 
the Rebels couldn't afford to take the three. They couldn't afford to, you know, play conservative rugby. They had to try and score at all costs, which made for some really nice attacking plays, um, but probably didn't threaten the line as much as they probably could have against the Reds. Um, but I just thought it was an awesome game to watch. The Reds finally look like they're, they're settling on some of the key issues I had in 2020 and making it look very easy this year. So from your perspective, Cody, what do you think of this match? I think I think the Reds back row is looking really good. I think that the work that they're getting through is is very impressive. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's a great match. Again, the Rebels. I just I just think probably for the last sort of seven eight years they've just been there or thereabout. They've just been thereabouts, not quite there. They show promise. They very seldom play a, a full eighty minutes where they they look good the whole time, and they'll often play games where the scoreboard doesn't reflect the full results of the game, uh, the, the performance of the game. So I think, I think there's some probably inherent issues there that they're not just following through. Um, and, and in fairness as well, they are a young team. They might not be young in age, but in terms of the time that they spent together, there's not a whole heap bar a few players. So um, yeah, I think, I think that's probably a bigger scoreline than I would have expected in that game. But I think probably the most interesting thing is how how much hype that's built for for this coming weekend because it's sort of must win must win for the rebels must win must win for the force and still a sneaky chance for the tars now. Mm, mathematically, and, they can still do it. Yeah, so there's there's plenty of hype like Brumbies and Brumbies and Reds have got the top two locked in and and we'll talk about the next week's fixtures fixtures and how that works for finals, but. I think it's made a really interesting battle for the bottom three now. One of the things that I think um, will factor in a fair bit is obviously how the Tars can build from this buy. So we, we might talk about that a little bit later, but just on the topic of the Reds, I think one of the things that stopped them from being a you know really dominant team last year was just how many penalties they gave away. So they weren't a super disciplined team. And on top of that, they also turned the ball over a lot and they still do a little bit with um, you know players like Pattaya and... Um, McDermott and Paisami to lesser extents, just, you know, looking for the offload and maybe not always finding it. But in this match, they only turned the ball over nine times compared to the Rebels 17. And they only gave away seven penalties compared to the Rebels 12. So seven penalties, I think that's probably the least penalties the Reds have given away in the last two years. Like that's a really low penalty count, especially when you consider that the Rebels had, you know, 50% of the possession. Like they had a lot of the ball um, as long as if the Reds were starved of it. So, I do think that's probably their biggest takeaway is just working on that discipline because they realized last time they kept the Rebels in the game because Tamil could just keep kicking over points. So there's actually some really shrewd decision-making from um, Brad Thorne to realize, well, if this is how they're scoring their points, we need to take off that as an option, just, you know, force them to try their hand. And, you know, Frank Lamani actually looked like a genuine threat on the uh, right wing and him and Corabetti linked up really well, but it was just the Reds inside backs doing so much of that work to try and push that scoreboard out. I think McDermott and O'Connor are really forming as, you know, potential front runners for that test jersey. I know Nick White's so much more experienced, but they just look so good together. And I think nothing, um, nothing encompasses that better with the switch play that they run from the back of the um, rock. I think we've seen two tries scored from it now. Uh, this week was a little bit different because McDermott passes right to, um, to O'Connor who runs back on the inside angle and has the inside option for Paisami. 
And I think in previous weeks, he did give that inside ball, but this time he broke the tackle and actually passed out to Tupo for that try. Um, and it's a really simple play, but all it really requires is having two, uh, I guess, runners, one other side of you, and the ability to spot the difference. And the halfback will just call when there's enough room either side of the ruck. And it's that communication that I think O'Connor and Tate have a really good understanding of where to be for each other. And it's the exact opposite of the Brumbies where the Brumbies have an experienced nine and a young 10. The Reds have the inexperienced nine, but a really experienced 10. And I think that combination is proving just a little bit more effective at the moment at super level. So I'm keen to see how that translates this week for the fixture, but then also for um, the test matches coming up. If you just had to pick a nine and 10 for the Wallabies at the moment, Cody, would you be picking a combination or you'd just be going for the best players? I'd, I'd be going wide and O'Connor still, I think. Yeah. I, I just still I still think that you can't really compare versus, versus the Rebels and versus the Force to versus the All Blacks and versus the Springboks. So I think I think for that reason, Tate needs some time on the bench before he walks in and starts. But I think O'Connor's just, he's probably been better this year than he was last year in Super Rugby. And he was one of the best players in, in Super Rugby AU last year. He's been, he's been for mine probably, he's probably looking like, to be AU player of the year so far for me. So yeah, hard to argue with. Been very impressive. Um, we'll actually we'll cover in the uh, team of the week quite soon. I just want to bring up one of the things that I found most interesting, um, which is before the match, I thought it was interesting their decision to uh, bench Dalgunu for um, Bryce Hegarty, and that they moved the players around enough because they could have brought in Indrasessi uh, and put him on one of the wings, but. Instead, they've brought Stewart back and put him at centre and put Patea out to the wing. And the combination works so well, they're doing it again for the Brumbies. Those players complement each other's game style so well. I think it's really well looked at because I know um, at the start of the year, a few people were saying, oh, yeah, Stewart's good to have in there because he's like a second playmaker. But in reality, he's more of a second flanker. Oh, I guess a third flanker for the Reds case. Um he didn't make any of the big runs or kicks or passes or anything like that. He only ran the ball twice for five meters, but he made 13 tackles. Like his job is to sit in that channel and stop all the incoming traffic so that the attacking players around him can do their work, which worked out perfectly because Paisami didn't make a single tackle. He didn't need to. He instead ran the ball eight times for 125 meters. I know a lot of that came from the intercept, but still it's a decent chunk of meters. Uh, scored the try, three clean breaks, four defenders beaten. Um, having that player that is just that defensive rock allows you to have someone like that. And it's what the Reds, when they were successful in 2011, did with um, Anthony Fienga. It's what the Brumbies did with Pat McCabe. Like, they didn't need the flashy player because they had someone that was just not going to let anything pass. And then the other thing that I thought was interesting was Hegarty. I thought for sure the big reason would be the kicking game. But it's turned out that the biggest advantage he has is that he's better defensively and he's better um, in terms of discipline. So Dalgunu is a great player, but he's also known to fall off a few tackles and, you know, not be quite as disciplined when it comes to, you know, those high shots every now and then or um, getting involved in rucks. But Hegarty made all six of his six tackles and didn't give away any penalties on top of his kicking game and still running the ball a little bit. So I think this team's just getting a lot smarter. I think they still probably haven't found their best um, 15. So I think there's a few players that, you know, are injured or might not be getting started, but, Brad Thorne's come up with a really good tactical plan on how to use these players, and it worked really well last week, and I think it's going to work again this week. Yeah, I, I think Hegarty, like Hegarty's a class player. He's 100 caps this weekend. Mm. Oh, sorry, 100, 100 Super Rugby games this weekend. 
he, aside from having Falau, uh, he sort of left the Tars at the worst time for his career, I guess, that in terms of Falau left the season after after he left to get more game time at the Reds. But he was he was a very good fullback for the Tars when he got the game time. He was sort of, uh, I think every time Falau didn't play, he it was more like the Japan and the the sort of weakest of African games. But he was getting man of the match pretty much every time he played. Um, so he's an experienced player. I think having having him with O'Connor, it, it, it sometimes sometimes you don't want to be the only experienced back in the back line. And O'Connor sort of been that. It does take a little bit of pressure off him and, and probably allows him or makes him feel a little bit more confident to run the ball himself like he did to then give the ball to Tupo on the outside. So I think I think knowing that you're not the only one that's going to be making the decisions all game definitely takes some weight off some of those other experienced players. But yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough uh, decision-making scenario for Brad Thorne at the moment with the Reds and the and the centers and outside backs particularly. Because as you said last week, Jock Campbell's been pretty class so far. He he has played a, like a reasonable amount of wing in his time as well. It's not like he's a he's a pure fullback, never played anywhere else. Um, it it'll be a tough one. Vunavalu will be back uh, next next week or the week after, I think. It was five weeks. I think it was all up. So. Um, Dalgurna will be itching for more time. He, he's going to be wanting to start for the Reds if he's got any chance of starting for the Wallabies. So it'd be very interesting to see how that happens if it's just a complete rotation. Um, but yeah, d- danger signs for any team versus the Reds if they can get some good minutes um, with those players in, in varying rotations, especially as you do start to get some injuries coming into the Trans-Tasman comp, etc. Mm. No, I think I think it'll be most interesting is with the form of some of these players, and the specific roles that are asked to play, whether it is Stuart or Haggerty that has to make way for these players or whether it is Pattaya who hasn't been in the form he would have liked to have been in and has definitely been outplayed by Paisami as a 12 or 13 option. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how these players come back into consideration. We'll segue that into the team of the week for the Aussie teams. Um, for me, I had Angus Bell and Falafanga is pretty locked in one and two. Tighthead could have gone anywhere. Slipper was so industrious with his work rate. HH just made more runs than anyone got a nice try. Tupo's an obvious answer because he got the two tries and is on the highlights reel. If I was just looking at work rate, I'd probably go Harry Johnson Holmes. But, you know, you could go for any of those three. Um, all Brumbies lock pair with uh, Nick Frost and Cade Neville. Hugh Sinclair at six. Um, you know, not one of my favorite players, but I think a real workhorse and did a lot of runs and nice uh, tackles for the Tars. Fraser McWright at seven, um, Michael Wells at eight, just gunning down Jock Campbell for that try-saving tackle and then scoring one himself was a nice reward. McDermott and Jock in the halves, Tom Wright and Frank Lamani on the wings, uh, Lalakai Fakedi and Hunter Paisami in the centres and Tom Banks at fullback. Is there anyone there that sticks out as being a you know, WTF inclusion or someone that you want to throw in? I think that's pretty fair. I think, yeah, Harry Johnson Holmes, he's sort of turning into the Tiger Furlong in, in terms of his pick and drive tries. <laughs> it's if, a big as soon as he gets, As soon as he gets sort of within two metres of the line, it's get out of the way because his body height is so low. He's done it for two years now. And he's, he's I, actually, you might have the stats somewhere, but he's scoring a fair few tries, Harry Johnson Holmes. Mm. I'd say he'd, he'd be at three for the year, I'm guessing, maybe two or three for the year. He got a couple last year as well, which is more than mm. what you'd expect for a tight head prop. I think he's in both of our fantasy teams, isn't he? So we're quite happy with the fact that he's um, that he's doing so well. 
Yeah, I've actually I've actually got Angus Bell, which I was pretty happy with last week. But um, but yeah, I would have I would have loved to have had Harry Johnson Holmes as well. Wow. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, he's only got the one try this season. Oh no, he's just got twenty twenty no, sets. He's got more than that. I was gonna say, yeah. I thought he scored probably three, but I'll need yeah. to look into that. Um. Anyway, let's have a look at the New Zealand sides, just because I want to rip through this so we can talk about the week coming. Um, the first game was the Highlanders versus Crusaders, and this is the biggest upset of the season, I think, across both competitions. Um, Crusaders losing thirty-three to twelve. It wasn't even close. Um, the thing that I think stood out to me was the Highlanders kicking game. So they kicked the ball twice as much. Um, they, they had more possession as well, but it was their ability to play that territory game because they knew that the Crusaders were under pressure. And the reason why they were under pressure, the same reason we've spoken about so many times and something that I'm keen to bring up whenever I get the chance, um, you can take the three against the Crusaders. There's this weird myth that you can't because they'll just score more points. If you take the three, you're going to cause them to have pressure. And the Crusaders are very rarely under pressure, so you don't normally see how they perform when it comes to that. But if you just keep that scoreboard ticking over, which is exactly what Mitch Hunt and the Highlanders did, you're going to put yourself in a really good position. And I think that, you know, was really evidence. It was three tries to two. So, you know, in terms of the scoring, it was pretty close. But Mitch Hunt just kept knocking over penalties. And it just meant that even though, you know, it seemed like it was quite close, the Crusaders really had to take, um, you know, every attacking opportunity. They couldn't go for three points because they themselves were under pressure, um, which isn't a normal position for them. So kudos to the Highlanders. They really, um, I guess, gave a bit of a blueprint as to what to do to unrattle and unnerve the Crusaders because it wasn't just a win. It was really dominant. Yeah, I think it's, I guess, I'll, I'll front up and admit it. I had... Brumbies 13 plus and Crusaders 13 plus, and I thought mm. that was one of the surest bets of the year. Uh, mm. Got them both wrong. Quite, I'm eating humble pie there, but that's that's not something that I'd ever ever anticipated. Christ, the Crusaders at home losing by what was the final margin 16 or something? Uh, 21. 21. 21. Yeah, they probably have never lost by that much time since probably their first Super Rugby season, I'm guessing. Or in, maybe in the last 10 years, I doubt they've lost by 21 points at in Christchurch. Mm. Um, and that was the, remember, it was the Highlanders team that didn't have Josh Uwana, who's been one of their better players this year. Um, it had, didn't have Marina McKelly too, who's also been a, a pretty solid performer for them. It had Himeno in there, who's played one game off the bench. So that's not, not an experienced number eight. I think Aaron Smith came off the bench. So it was... It's not a team that you look at going, okay, that, that team's going to be the Crusaders. Uh, and it's not even a team that you look at thinking the team's going to compete with the Crusaders. So that's just a bit of hard work and, hard work and smart footy. Got that one done. I did say during the match, um, I think in one of our group chats, who would have thought that Scott Gregory would play better than Will Jordan? And I don't say that lightly. Gregory is a player that did not impress me at all last year. Was arguably the worst player of 2020. And get that in writing. He was a shocker, but um, he fronted up. He made a try-saving tackle. He was body on the line and stopped. Four was running at full pace. Like he he put in a really solid performance. And against like some big bodies, I think he just showed that um, he's got some great use. But it's sort of when he moved into the midfield that he was a bit more uh, resourceful than when he was out on the wing. But um, I thought a great performance from him. Great performance from Mitch Hunt, who. 
I think had a real point to prove in that, okay, I couldn't get a starting gig at the Crusaders, was there for a while behind Richie Momonga and just sort of came on for the last five minutes. Um, let me show you what I've learned. And really took the game by its strides. I think he, I think had more meters than anyone else on the park. Um, beat three defenders, made three clean breaks. Obviously scored a lot of points off the boot. Um, really impressive performance from him. And I think he wanted to stand out while Yuani wasn't there to show how useful he is. So even with Yuani back this week, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get, um, you know, first crack of that jersey again. The thing that I think just stood out and similar to that Brumbies Tars game, it's the role of each player in set of positions. So both teams missed about the same amount of tackles. But when you look at the Highlanders, a lot of those missed tackles came from the backs. And it was just, you know, falling off a few players when, you know, Havili or Jordan or Moanga went for a bit of a run and, you know, beat a few defenders. Um, so none of them really led to tries, but they were just, you know, times they didn't make a complete tackle. Whereas look at the Crusaders, most of their missed tackles actually came from the forwards, which is the problem area because that's when you're making those extra meters in the middle of the field. It's when you're, you know, sort of bursting over in um, the opponent's 22. And just that difference of the roles, the amount of missed tackles, even if they're the same, it really comes down to, well, where do those missed tackles occur? Whereabouts is the big issue for those teams? And I think it was probably the first time those um, Crusaders forwards have been rattled, which again, a bit surprising given the Highlanders pack, but you know, again, gave a good blueprint for the Chiefs this weekend who, um, not Chiefs, sorry, the Hurricanes this week who look to try and take on the Crusaders. We'll move to the uh, second match for the outer roll comp. So the Blues versus Hurricanes. This game I thought was going to be really exciting. And it was, but not in the same way I thought. It was pretty low scoring. And it was a really defensive game. Um, but the Blues ended up getting up 27 to 17. Uh, four penalties from Jordy Barrett kept them in the game. And again, the New Zealand sides are doing a lot more kicking for penalty goals this year, which I think is a good sign of respect and you know scoreboard pressure for some of the teams that might not be able to stay in the game uh, through tries. But the big thing that stood out was how impressive the Hurricanes' defense has been under Corey Jane as their new um, sort of defensive and backline mentor because the Hurricanes made 100 of their 110 tackles. And, you know, it's a really solid effort. You know, it's just over that 90%. The big thing that stood out as well is the player that was responsible for the most missed tackles was Dane Coles, which you think, well, he's you know pretty established all black. Why is he missing so many tackles? It's because they insist on playing him on the wing. Like he's at every you know defensive or attacking structure on the wing, so he's just not really getting the proper use out of what he should be doing because he doesn't have the same wheels that he had a few years ago. He made the highlights package for that weird little twinkle step that he did around um, some of the Blues backs while he was on the wing, but he's he's not being utilized as much as he should be. I think if you take him out of the equation, um, the Hurricanes' defense has just been awesome, and it's really forcing opposition teams to you know, create something really ridiculous out of nowhere um, to try and beat them. And it's just unfortunate for them that the Blues have the outside backs to be able to do that. They made those uh, clean breaks. They made those easy meters, not um, regularly, but when they did, they could really capitalize because they've got, you know, Caleb Clark, Mark Talea, Stephen Parafetta, Rico Iwani. They've probably got the most exciting back line um, across the both competitions. So just from what you saw with this game, Cody, what stood out to you? Yeah, I, th- I think it was another good battle. I, I'm To your point on Dane Coles, you, I'm starting to think it's time for Asafa Almoa to the start. And after the Highlanders game, Ash Dixon is almost warranting an All Blacks call-up soon. Mm. 
he's he's performing very very well. But I think Almoa, when you looked at the damage he did, the damage that Ricky Ricatelli does off the bench, I'm not seeing that same same damage from Coles anymore. Yes, he'll pull out something that's that's pretty impressive, and he's got plenty of niggle and, and some good leadership qualities. But you think in terms of impact in the scrum, Almoa is definitely a heavier body. He seems to seems to go quite well in there, and then work rate is just out of the park. I had him I had him twice in fantasy. He didn't just tackle either week. So that was like, he's, he's a class player. Um, yeah, I, I think the Hurricanes are probably, they're probably playing at a level that they're, they're almost happy with aside from the scoreboards at the moment. Hmm. Artie came into a, a, not the best Hurricanes team in the world. He had a bad start as captain. He's, he's trying his heart out every weekend. But it's it's always difficult when you come into a role and you don't get results. Um, so yes, I think they're good. Um, I think the Blues showed a bit more maturity as well this week. Which um, yeah, sometimes you look at the the back line and you think, geez, that's, that can that'll do all the work for you. Forwards just get them the ball and it'll it'll all happen. Um, that's not the case when you look at the defence that the Hurricanes have. You, you come up against a good defensive team like that, you need a lot more than just getting the ball to the back. You need the force to get, be getting some good front football. Um, I still think Sam not probably isn't quite up to scratch and isn't helping their, their back lines ignite too much. But I think both of both teams could probably look pretty positively at that game and, and they've probably still got enough time to develop into hopefully a finals berth for them. But yeah, the Highlanders didn't do them any favours. Um, one of the questions I've seen floated around a fair bit because I think we've even discussed a few times with our team of the weeks. Um, the Aussie team of the week seem to be full of quite a few Wallabies or Wallabies potentials, whereas the New Zealand ones has a lot of fringe players getting in there. So we're thinking, are they in form or not? Um, behind Richie Mwanga, who's the next best fly half in New Zealand at the moment? You'd almost have to say Mitch Hunt after the weekend, wouldn't you? Uh, for people listening, I cut out 20 minutes of silence while Cody thought about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, yeah no, no one springs to mind. You look at yeah the days of the days of old where New Zealand were just spitting out fly halves and you'd happily take any of them. Yeah. Um, geez, yeah, you'd almost go Richie Moore. Across the both comps, you'd almost go Richie Moana, then O'Connor, then Tumua, then maybe Lalesio, then then obviously Jake Gordon, wherever he wants to play, put, put Dempsey in there, put any other tar, <laughs> Will Harrison at the moment. But no, yeah, yeah, it's, that's a, that's an interesting question. I haven't thought too much about it. Um, but the, yeah, it's a, you, if you're the All Blacks and you've got an injured Richard Mwanga and no Bowden available for this year, you'd be starting mm. to sweat, I'd say. Yeah. Um, which is an interesting problem, as you said, just given the history, but I, I just thought, it's a fun question in the sense that we always talk about how good the New Zealand depth is and there's not really depth across all the positions like we'd normally see. Um, same for a few other positions. You know, I know blindside flanker, they've struggled to fill in. I think there's good players in Super Rugby, but they've struggled there. And even the locks, they've got sort of four great options and then I think it dives off a fair bit just based on the amount of time they're given. But, I mean, they're still the best team in the world, so hard to complain too much. Um, for the New Zealanders, I thought the team of the week uh, it was got uh, nice to have Big Carl starting again. So I put him in uh, loose head with Cody Taylor and Tyrell Lomax. Uh, Perry Perry Parkinson and Sam Whitelock in the locks with 
Uh, Ethan Blackadder, Dalton Papali'i, and Hoskins at Tutu in the back row. Uh, Falau Fakatava and Mitch Hunt just did an awesome job as the Highlanders starting harvest combo. So they've got to get recognition there, as well as um, Jonah Nareki and I was a toss-up between Scott Gregory or George Bridge on the right wing. It was just great to see Bridge back, and he looked like he hadn't missed really any of the action other than that first drop he had um, from the heavily crossfield kick. He looked very solid. Uh, TJ Farney instantly back into that 12 jersey for the team of the week. He did a great job of uh, steering that blue side around uh, with Rico Ioani in at 13 as well. And then I've got, uh, again, a toss-up of Connor Garden-Bachop or Stephen Parafetter at fullback. Both players playing really well, um, offering very different things, but uh, great assets for both teams. So not many of those players would be walk-ins for the All Blacks. A fair few of them probably won't even get near the squad, but it is interesting to see where, I guess, the form line sort of lie uh, getting this close to the end of the season. Yeah, I think I think that's the second week in a row we've had Perry Perry Parkinson in the team, team of the weekend. I think he's been performing really well. He's, really um, yeah. he's a player last year that probably fell out to um, to provide to get into the all-black squad. I don't think Parry even made the all-black squad last year, but he's one of those players that they were sort of talking up and he was looking looking pretty decent at a time where there was there was him and Tupervai and another couple of, of young young good locks. But um, I think he's looked he's looked really good. And then yeah, I completely agree. TJ finally looked very good. Um, retract my comments about Harry Palmer last week after how far he played this week. And I'd I'd say probably Perifetta edged out. Connor uh, Garden Bachop. I thought that was one of Perifetta's better games as well. Yeah, Perifetta is just someone that I think. They've struggled to work out whether he's a 10 or a 15. This is probably the longest stretch he's had in the same jersey without injury, as far as I can remember. I know he had a bit of time at 10, but then you know, we'd get a knee niggle or something with the ankle and you know couldn't keep playing. So um, it, it's nice to see him get that continuity of the jersey. We'll look now at the previews, because this is probably the bit where I'm more excited for. And we'll just do the Australian ones, because we haven't seen the New Zealand teams just yet. The Rebels versus Fort. So whoever wins this sets themselves up very nicely because if the rebels win they're pretty much locked in that third spot if the force win it's still a three-horse race and comes down to how you know the waratahs compete against both teams and how those teams go against uh the brumbies and reds respectively as to whether they could claim an upset win there but there's been a lot of changes to trying to get this win and it's the most changes the rebels backlines had so i'm keen to see if this is a bit too much um chopping and changing for them, and if it actually impacts them. So Dave Vessels has moved uh, Reese Hodge to fullback to allow Louis Holland to come into 12. Louis Holland's probably one of the best Aussie sevens players we've had in the last 10 years. I'm very keen to see if it translates into the 15-man game, um, especially at the inside centre position. But, you know, this is a probably good week as any to test it. Uh, Jordan Ulessi and Steve Cummins swap with James Hansen and Rob Liotta for starting positions. Rob Liotta, definitely more of a blindside flanker. So to see him come in at number four is going to be a bit interesting. It's going to be a, quite a young pairing with uh, Trevor Hosea in the locks. Uh, Luciano Sordoni and Brad Wilkin return to the bench. They replace Albert Anne and Tom Nellon, who did a good job um, as fill-ins. And then for the force, this is Bronner Sanders' first game not starting. So at the moment, he's on an extended bench. I would hope that he's one of the names to get um, cut as as well as I guess um, Andrew Reddy. I'd like to see him not being rewarded with game time after his red card. 
Um, the only reason I want Sandicut is because I want Ansi to get more game time. If he's going to be in the Wallabies squad, I want to see him play. And what they've done is they've moved um, Thomas Lozano to number eight and kept the Lee Warner and Koteka flanker combination. But I'd like to see Ansi starting um, if he is getting you know the accolades that he's currently uh, receiving online. The biggest change is the um, back line. It completely changed at 10, 11, and 12. So Domingo Miotti comes in for uh, Jake McIntyre, which is, I think, a really nice improvement. Um, Jordan Alawafella comes in to start on the left wing instead of Baraki. And Kyle Godwin comes in as captain. So straight from not playing to captain, uh, replacing the inform Henry Typhoon, who was probably the best player last week. This is a massive changes. Um, Thrush and Madrano also come into the starting team, so it bolsters them up. I think the Force probably have their best-looking team of the season or very close to, just from the players that I like. Um, granted, Oliver Fell is a bit of a gamble, but I've always liked Kyle Godwin as a player, and I think giving the game time to um, you know Medrano and getting Thrush back in there, giving Sander a bit of a rest and having a pretty exciting back row, um, I can't see this being anything other than a Rebels win, despite all of that. How do you see this game going? Yeah, I, I'm tipping Rebels 1-12, to 12, but I think that it could go either way. I just don't – I look at this, the, the force team, I just don't see the firepower. Mm. I don't see any – yes, there, there's some players that are that are quite good and have some, some pretty good resumes, but I don't see anyone going, yep, they're really going to light that up. Like, Kurandrami hasn't done anything exciting this year. Goldwyn is historically – um, quite plain player, gets the job done, good kicker, good passing game, okay in defence, not a big ball runner. Rolston's been quiet. McGregor can pull out an okay play, but makes up has his fair share of errors as well. Um, and Miotti hasn't had enough time in the driver's seat with players outside him to have a proper impact, I think. So um, you couple that, look, you look at that back row, that's not an enormous back row either. Um, Lozana isn't huge. Botek is not huge. Lee Warner will always get through work. He'll be quite impressive, and as will Tamani and Thrush. But I'm just not seeing the threat there. And I was originally thinking, geez, the Rebels just got a thumping. And last time they played, it's close between the Force and Rebels, and the Force are getting better. They've played more games. But I'm just looking at it, and I'm thinking, it's going to be difficult. I, I can't see too many tries coming from the from the Force team there. Um, and then you do have the spark in the Rebels team where you've got, like, you look at the damage that a, a halfback can do in terms of Frank Lamani yeah. and then um, and the damage that obviously Corbetti can do to move a smart player and, and their forward pack's been working quite well. So I think I've got the, I've got the rebels. Um, I think it'll be a very defensive game from the force, hoping for lots of rebels penalties. I am. Um, I can see why they might've gone for the smaller back row of Koteca and Lozano with Lee Warner only because the rebels back row themselves isn't that big. Like um, between Kemeny, Hardwick and Wells, none of them are massive um, running bodies. So you, you might not need Stander for that sort of matchup. But I completely agree with the Godwin use. Like if it was me, I'd like to see Godwin in there. I think he's a great player, but it'd probably be at the expense of Kuren Drani so that you could still have Taifu or Kahui in there who have both had a really good running game this year. Um, there's a lot of pressure on Miotti to live up to I guess, online expectation of get a more exciting 10 in there because Miotti is definitely more exciting, but he needs to inject these other wingers because I don't think we've seen a single 
um, force winger since round one actually looked good with ball in hand. It wasn't, um, yeah, I don't think that it's been the wingers. I think it's been more the centers looking good because the one good play was John Alance's crossfield kick to um, Rolston in the first week. I haven't seen Rolston do anything with ball in hand since. And he had a really good 2020. So I was excited to see him get a bit more game time. But Miori's job is just going to be getting Oliver Feller and Ralston more ball. And hopefully Godwin can sort of facilitate that as well. But you're right. Kundrani hasn't done enough to really warrant staying in that jersey, I don't think. Um, I, I've tipped Rebels by nine. So I think you'll want a 12 spreading on the money. And I really want the Rebels to win because I think they've... They've been the better team. They've also been the smarter team. I think they've stuck better with their players. They've had a lot of injury concerns and they don't have anything near the starting team that they want to want it because they haven't had Campbell Magnate or Dane Halepetty, but they've still managed to look really impressive. So I'll, I'll back the Rebels on this one. Uh, Reds versus Brumbies. I'm going to let you sort of take this off to start with because obviously I'll be pretty impassioned. Um, how do you see this one going? I got the Rebels. I got, sorry about the Reds one to twelve on this one as well. I, I, it's one of those tight games where you look at the the game. The Reds won by two last time. It was in ACT, but they were without their captain in Alan Malatoa. They were without Slipper. It was CO's first game back. They were without Tom Wright. Um, they didn't play a great game, and the Reds also scored off a sort of um, Holy Mary grubber through last play. Or almost last play, lucky bounce. Well, actually, pretty unlucky bounce and miraculous finish. Um, so I think, I think you look at that, and that's a pretty even game. Then you bring back three players that are, are definite starters and and three starting wallabies. I would say so. Mm. That's a big difference. Um, but then you, you counter that with the Reds, who have improved as the season's gone, more so than the Brumbies have, and also. The Reds, uh, it's been a while since they've lost at home. I think they lost at the start of last year at home, but since since the back half of back off of Super Rugby AU 2020, they haven't lost at home. So I think, I don't think they're going to be wanting to lose. They've got their captain coming back in Liam Wright. They've got a back line that performed really well last week. Obviously, it doesn't, it doesn't look as dangerous without Vunavala and Dalgunu there, but mm. they've got a back line that performed really well last week. Um, and their bench is probably the best we've seen in a while. So it's going to be a tight game. I think the the Reds will just be a bit a bit more excited, um, and I think that'll that'll get them through. I think you're right with the excitement. Wilson's already come out and said that um, you know this is the game that they're keen to show everyone just how good this side is. Um, he's come out and acknowledged that his performances have been up and down, which you know sort of expect in your second big year. But he thinks he's building up nicely for this game. Um, and, and I back that completely. I think he's still had a great season. If he thinks that's up and down, then I'm very keen to see how he peaks for this weekend because this Reds pack and the whole Reds side, as you said before, probably doesn't look as dangerous on paper as when it's got Delguno and Vunavalu. But they showed last week that they don't need to have those threats because they're playing smarter rugby. And it's probably the best that the team's looked in a decade. You know, this is a really impressive looking outfit that can win or even just play in a variety of manners. The thing that I'm probably happiest with looking at the red side, because obviously you've brought up all the players coming back for the Brumbies. I'm very happy that Liam Wright's back. And I'm also really happy that it's not at the expense of Angus Scott Young or Sarah Uru. Because I think Angus Scott Young's done a phenomenal job at six for the Reds. I think his attack's been 
you know, solid, but it's his defensive work. Like he's just been making tackles and being in the right spot at the right time so many occasions. And I think I think it was that um Tars game where you brought up his try saving tackle on Jake Gordon, that really slowed the process of the Waratahs. Like they could have come back into that match um in round one. But Scott Young was, you know, that defensive rock there. Um and Sarah Uru, he's been so versatile. Like when he was starting at five while Salakai Lota was out, he was probably the best player in the team just off his attacking stats. And then obviously with his return, um, he saw a bit more action on the bench and got one game starting at number eight, but he's looked good in every facet. So I'm really glad that they're keeping that sort of East um, combination there of uh, the two of them, as well as Asiata on the bench. Um, I, I think that just is the best reward for all those players who've put in a really good shift all season. My big question, I was talking to um, Brett McKay on Twitter about this, who's, a rugby expert and writes for the Roar and um, is a big Brumbies fan as well as a Canberra local. But Tom Wright and Eddie Muir have swapped wings. The wing position of left and right wing is a bit of an interesting one because generally your 11 is going to be um, your better runner, maybe your better finisher because they get a bit more ball. And your right wing might be a bit more of a wing slash fullback, normally a bit better with, um, I guess, that skill set of in the air and kicking game. Cody, do you see any reason why Tom Wright and Andy Muirhead would swap wings? Is there any reason for that? No, I think that's fine. I did notice it this week. I sort of just, I just glossed over it. I didn't think, I don't think either of them are specialists. I know Tom Wright played both of them last year. Um, Muirhead's probably played every position in the back line, to be honest, at some point, having spent a lot of time in that 23 jersey and then starting in various capacities. So I think if you're a specialist, like if you're a Marika Karabetti, you want to be playing on your left wing. Um, if you're a Ben Smith or a Geordie Barrett, you're going to be playing on a right wing when you when the other one's at fullback or McKenzie's at fullback or something like that. But excluding that, I, I think pretty indifferent. I think you'd just be pretty happy to have them both on the field at the same time at the moment. Yeah. And um, dare I say, I think I think the most important player that'll probably decide the game on the weekend is Simone. If he has a good game cool. and outplays, outplays Paisami... Um, obviously not playing the same position, but if he has a bit more impact in attack than Paisami and can hold himself in defence, I think that's when the Brumbies look really, really good and he can really ignite their back line. So he had a shocker last week. Um, he's had some hit-miss performances this year. If he can have a big game, I think the Brumbies could get it done. If he gets outplayed by his other centre, the red centres, uh, Stuart and Paisami, I think the Reds can, can settle the win. I think the good thing about this game is there's probably 12 of the 15 starting positions where it's a straight shootout for a Wallabies jersey. You know, you take out a few of these um, positions where it's a bit more one-sided or there might not be a Wallabies contender. Most of these jerseys are playing for a Wallabies spot with their opposite. So there's so much on the line for this game, not just the home um, bragging rights for the finals, but also just the fact that Test season's coming up, and these are the two form teams. Like you want to be building your national side around your form players. Um, if we look at the table for Super Rugby AU, obviously if the Reds win, they've locked in that home final, so I'll be very happy with that. The thing that'll be the most interesting part is if the Brumbies win, it really comes down to whether the Reds get a losing bonus point or if the Brumbies get a winning bonus point. Because at the moment, the Reds are on 28 points and the Brumbies are on 24 points on the table. Um, they'll both have one more game after this. I think the Brumbies will have to verse... 
Do they have another game against the Force? No, they play them twice. Rebels. Must be against the Rebels. Uh, and the Reds have the Force. So that creates a really interesting dynamic in terms of, okay, well, if the Reds do lose this, um, can they get that extra bonus point so that they still can top the ladder even if they drop a game? So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. I think the Reds will win this probably by four to six, somewhere you know in that really tight um, margins there. I am obviously more scared about this game than the last one. The Brumbies team looks a lot stronger, but I still think the Reds just in form at Suncorp. I'm not going to go against them. And you'll be going to the game? I will be going to the game. I'll be, um, I'll be the one screaming uh, when, when we get the first try, courtesy of um, Jock Campbell. Put it down there first. Get the, uh, yeah, get the sports bet out. I'm thinking a little um, crossfield kick from Hunter Paisami, not O'Connor, to Jock Campbell for the first try. So um, if that happens, find me on Twitter. If it does not happen, uh, forget this ever happened. Oh, eat a hat. Eat a hat? All right. I'd get the mayo out then. Um, we'll just very quickly touch on the Tars. Um, I know they're not playing this week. They got the bye. Um, I won't make a joke about them losing that one. Um, what do you want to see the Tars do over this bye weekend? What are you looking forward to them being able to do when they come back? I think I'm looking forward to just two weeks with, with your new coaches. Mm. Let them have a have a few of their own thoughts. Um, Gordon's back and actually running around. I'm sure he's running around. not just good with the team beforehand, but like you, you get back from syndesmosis and you play 80 minutes. That's yeah. pretty wild when he couldn't even come off the bench the week before. So uh, I was very happy he made it through. I think I think they'll take a lot of uh, confidence from the game that they just played. And I think the more time... Uh, Keddy and Parisi can sort of work on their, their partnership. Um, Harrison, I would, I'd like to see more from Harrison. I'd like to see a bit more um, grooming of him from Gordon, I think. But I, I don't think there's anything significant that really needs to change in the way that they're playing. I think they've been through plenty of work. Center's looking strong. And then just the outside back, probably getting a bit more ball and a bit more opportunity would be great. Hmm. I think you've nailed all those things. Um especially getting more ball to the back. So I'd just love to see Ram running the ball more. He's just been used to kick it, I think, a lot. Um, hasn't had as much attacking opportunity. But the thing that stood out the most um, over the last 24 hours is seeing Carmichael Hunt come out on Twitter and saying that Jason Gilmore is one of the best coaches he's ever had um, and just provides so much inside knowledge. So um, very high praise for someone that spent so much time in the NRL with great coaches. Um, so I think with that, recommendation i'd be very keen to see what this team can do with him at the helm i know he's put his hand up to coach next year full-time um i think it's not a bad idea to keep it in-house obviously he's been quite involved with a lot of these players they already know a lot about him um and if it even saves money and helps to you know bring in some more players that's an even better sort of um side benefit of it but very keen to see how they bounce back because their game against the brumbies was impressive and they've already versed the Reds twice, so I'm, I'm not too concerned about an upset there. So I'd love to see them upset the Reds, uh, sorry, the Rebels and the Force uh, in their last two games. And then upset the the Reds in the final, do you reckon? Uh, no, nah, nah, then lose the second place match to Brumbies um, before Reds win by 50 at Suncorp. 
All sounds perfect. Fair. Yep, lovely. All right. Um, yeah, above the belt. Looking forward to weekend's games. Thanks for talking about them with me, mate. Um, go the Reds. No worries. Enjoy the game when you get there. Will do. See you, mate.